You're tuned into the IBSC Living History Project. I'm Tom Batty, Executive Director of IBSC, and I'm honoured to present part six of our exploration into the rich tapestry of IBSC's history. We're joined by my dear friend, Kerry Brennan, the headmaster of Roxbury Latin School in Boston, who shares his insights and wit with Bruce Collins. In 2004, Kerry became the 11th headmaster of Roxbury Latin School, and it's fair to say that over the ensuing couple of decades, he's done a mighty fine job of leading a wonderful school community. Steadfastly upholding traditions and an ethos which began in 1645 under charter from Charles I, Kerry has driven Roxbury Latin forward with humour, intellect, love and an enduring infectious belief in the best in boys. The Roxbury Latin of today is of his making, shaped through enhancing and expanding programmes, shrewd recruitment of exceptional people and the further development of facilities that not only serve the needs and ambitions of the school and community, but are very pleasing on the eye. Kerry's notable contributions to the global mission of boys' schools, and especially to the IBSC, are widely recognised. His tenure as board chair from 2015 to 2018 had a significant and long-lasting impact on our coalition and on me as his secretary. As Kerry approaches his final year at Roxbury Latin, we extend our warmest wishes for what will no doubt be a time of mixed emotion for him and the school community, as all reflect on his indelible service to school and to each boy fortunate to pass through its doors. Buoyed by the knowledge that they will continue yet for many years, we also express our deep gratitude to Kerry for his many contributions to an active collegial involvement with IBSC. Kerry, thank you for sharing your insights. They are integral in our quest to comprehend the emergence of our coalition and shine light on the pivotal moments of its evolution. It's, um, it's wonderful to be speaking to another stalwart of IBSC, Mr. Kerry Brennan who has been at Roxbury Latin since 2004, I believe, Kerry. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. And um, you're a headmaster there and um, just um, have had a wonderful influence and impact on the IBSC and its growth. So thank you for being willing to share your perspective about the history of this wonderful organization. It's my pleasure, Bruce. So just to give our listeners some context, Kerry, how long have you been involved with IBSC? I would, I would say I've been involved since the inception of IBSC uh, because uh, I've, I've had three great professional stops at, all at boys' schools, initially at Roxbury Latin as a teacher and then as a principal at university school in Cleveland and then as the headmaster of collegiate school in New York City and then back here for the last 19 years as headmaster of Roxbury Latin. But the the founding fathers, as it were, of, of IBSC were mentors of mine, dear friends and, and mentors. And uh, in as much as all of my work was done in boys' schools, I was constantly 
apprised of our progress or what were fears about uh, the form, as they used to say in those days. And that was to say boys' schools uh, in their in their best selves. And as you know, and I know you've talked to others about this, as, as the lore goes, but I think it in this case is largely true. Rick Hawley, the headmaster of university school, and Tony Jarvis, who was then the headmaster of Roxbury Latin, and were old friends who had worked together as young teachers at university school, um, were lamenting the fact that uh, boys' schools were, were falling, as they would put it, and were evaporating. And that certainly in the United States, um, most boys' schools were being co-educated. Uh, girls were being welcomed um, onto campuses. And uh, the the assertion was in, in times that would have honored this particular point of view that it was being done for social justice reasons. I don't know if that term was... Um, was in vogue in those days, but it was the the, um, the predecessor of social justice uh, concerns and the thought that that boys should get what was um, uh, largely perceived to be a superior opportunity or education at boys' schools uh, seemed to be unfair and 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 indeed fine schools were needing to open themselves up to to girls as well. Um, our, our cynical analysis of all that was that it was motivated less. Uh, by social justice issues or even pedagogical ones and more by financial ones. Uh, schools that were dedicated to boys only were um, on the ropes uh, because they weren't getting the enrollment that they used to get. And uh, families were concerned about a single sex education generally, but specifically about boys schools, because I think, and, and this will inform some other things we talked about today, but, but I, I believe there were unfortunate but accurate views of many boys schools in those days, and they were seen to be um, uh, macho and misogynistic places. And uh, people were understandably not as attracted to them as they might've been in, in other generations. And thankfully um, by Rick and, and, uh, and Tony's concerns uh, evolved uh, a broader conversation, as you know, and then ultimately the IBSC. And I think the IBSC has played a major part in, in actually transforming some of the schools about which people legitimate concerns in the past. Uh, my own um, association with IBSE is, as it, as it were, not quite from the beginning because I think Rick and Tony uh, were there at the beginning and then by extension, Rick Melvoin. Um, I was not the head of a school at that time, but I was a, a principal and a head of divisions of university school in those days. And we were eager, I was eager at least, to try to translate to people who largely had um, upper school experience, including my boss, including Rick Hawley and including Tony Jarvis, uh, to the fact that that younger boys uh, were um, similarly or even more acutely both the beneficiaries and and in danger as a result of trends that we were hearing about in education uh, writ large. So, so I think one of the things that I brought to the conversation right from the beginning was this perspective of being a time I was a K through eight ed. And uh, in a single sex school, in a boys' school, the, the lower school of university school. And I just thought that people who naturally were uh, experienced in teaching and then um, being the, the leaders of schools that, that, that uh, cater to older boys weren't, weren't as regardful or as informed even of what happened with younger boys and how, in, in fact, single sex schools for younger boys could be seen as beneficial as well. So when that first meeting occurred at Belmont Hill, um, in 1994, and I'm, I'm sure Rick Melvoin had plenty to say about that. 
but what I always remember about that having come into Boston from Cleveland in those days was it was the very day that O.G. Simpson was being um, uh, trailed in his white Bronco. And I, I had all I could do to pull myself away from being riveted to the television watching O.J. and then going to Belmont Hill, where Rick uh, was was very kindly uh, hosting what what came to be the first meeting of something that wasn't called anything then, but came to be the IBC, IBSC. Before that, of course, Rick and Tony had called together what they called the boys' school conversation. That took place here at Roxbury Latin, where I am right now, and that brought together maybe uh, ten or a dozen heads of boys' schools who were known to to Rick and uh, and Tony, and some who were not known, but who were leading schools that were prominent, um, uh, mainly in the United States, but to a certain degree internationally, certainly in England and Australia, right right from the start. And those conversations were affirming in the sense that everybody was feeling the same kind of anxiety about the future of boys' schools and were grateful for the uh, collaboration and the ultimate cohort that resulted from their common concerns. I think something that stands out for me, and actually just before I mention that, it's so interesting you mentioned the the O.J. Simpson connection because I remember being glued to my television here in South Africa when that was when that was happening. So, I mean, and that was so many years ago. You you know, it, the, the only difference, Bruce, is that you were probably in kindergarten. <laughs> not so not long quite. In the two- <laughs> not quite. But I mean, it, it's. I think what's what strikes me then is just how how many years we often don't think of the IBSC as being around for so many years and even though it wasn't called that in those early years I think the foundations for the organization we we enjoy today were built on those really close relationships of people who united around a a common purpose and you've mentioned some of those forces at play in the late 80s and early 90s around boys education and probably the in question around enrollment but also you know, some of the problematic things that, that people are pointing out in, in boys' education. You know, as the organization evolved from a conversation into something more um, more formal, what, what were some of the goals in, in your recollection in those early years, in those establishing years of, of the organization? What, what did these people who are passionate about the same thing want to achieve um, by being together and speaking about these things that matter? Well, I think what what evolved was probably surprising to the founders, as it were, because I, I think what they were anticipating at the beginning was that like-minded people could be brought together and, and provide support for each other. I'm not sure that at the beginning they were imagining that they had a lot more to learn about who boys were and specifically what excellent boys' schools looked like. But practically from the start, as individuals got to know other individuals from parts of this country, but from around the world, there there grew an an appreciation for the fact that we were doing a lot of the same work, but in many cases differently. And I I think what what has caused both the growth of this organization and and what to my mind, and it's it's more than wishful thinking, I think certainly true, the improvement of boys' schools was the the free sharing of ideas of, of, of first anecdotes about individual schools and how they operated and what their missions were like and uh, what informed uh, their traditions and uh, and the pattern of pedagogy that existed in those schools. 
to to saying, well, what what is it that all of us should know about boys and how they how they learn and how they are together that would make all of us stronger? And so, from from a time when when uh, certainly some of those schools and their leaders thought, well, we know all there is to know about this. We we run good schools, and um, the boys who are in them are lucky to be in them, and we're lucky to work with them. I, I think they became much more open minded about the fact that. As with all kinds of schools, there were good boys schools and there were atrocious boys schools. And and even some of the atrocious boys schools initially were attracted to the organization and quickly learned that, in fact, they they too could have different experiences given uh, the great ideas, uh, the best ideas that were coming forth from the various uh, relationships they were forging with leaders of other schools. And, and I think the other thing, Bruce, that, that certainly you and I know, initially, this was about heads of schools. And and I think soon after they they recognized these heads of schools that indeed all of their communities would benefit from being in dialogue with their counterparts and other schools, and and thus began I think um, uh, a commitment to the idea that 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 program was important when we thought about conferences that research was essential uh, if we were to actually learn the truth about things as opposed to simply having impressions that. That had been forged over many, many years. Some were some were mistaken, frankly, and uh, th- thus was born the IBSC um, that we know today. But you know, I, I'll have more to say about where we were in between. But but I think that was the most dramatic uh, change that 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 I certainly experienced myself, and and hope hope that I was to my in my own small way instrumental in trying to tilt the organization or the the robust um, modern honest. Uh, resource that it is today. Well, I mean, I, th- I think what strikes me as someone who um, I think had my first experience of IBSC in, in 2010 when I started again as a teacher in a boys' school here in South Africa um, is is exactly that, the connections and the opportunity to to learn more. And And it's fascinating for me that what started as maybe anecdotal sharing of ideas and what seemed to be best practice has morphed into a rich and robust set of programs and and research as you've as you've mentioned that that quite frankly i feel keeps up with the times and and the salient issues of the day that affect and impact boys schools um and and there's just such a rich engagement with those learnings that uh you know, I wonder when I when I when I talk about those things, I wonder if those of you who are involved in those early days ever dreamed or realized that it would turn into what it has turned into. I, I don't think there was any vision vision that would have imagined the organization today, because I, I think most of us, at least in this country, were relatively cynical about NAIS, the National Association of Independent Schools, which. Um, necessarily has a, a broader array of kinds of schools. And, and I think people felt less in common with, with people who headed those schools and, and, and worked in those schools. And, and I think there was an instinct from the start that as, as you know, one of, one of our great re- research initiatives had to do with relational teaching. And I would say the organization itself was all about relationships, that, that people came to, to like each other um, much the way you would meet somebody perhaps in another setting. And then you discovered that this person happened to head a very interesting boys' school in Tasmania where they had you know, an incredible house system. Uh, you know, I was at, at university school. I never heard of a house system. And then 
suddenly I saw it in action and we instituted a house system, university school that persists to this day. And so I, um, I, I also think that what was perhaps fortuitous, but ended up being at the heart of the, what distinguishes this organization is it's, it's, it's internationalness that that uh, those some of those heads who were in those first meetings, whether they were from the UK or whether they're from Australia, um, were were friends first of say Tony and Rick, and then um, they became partners on behalf of boys' schools. It was a it was a it was a different attitude, and I and certainly today, as we gather at conferences. Uh, it's unlike any other conference that that I'm going to. I was about to say drawn to, but I'm drawn to very few other conferences these days, uh, be, because not not only do you rub elbows with people from other places, but they're your friends, and that that camaraderie has developed over many years. And you look forward to seeing them, and you 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 wonder how a project that they talked about two years before has has panned out, and you know whether. Um, the evolution of the schools that they anticipated and hoped for have, in fact, been realized, and it's a, it's a terrific thing. And the exchanges have been um, so robust among our schools with visits and exchanges of students, and 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 being able to travel all around the world for conferences. That 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 is unlike any other um, organization that I know in in that regard. Yeah, Kerry, as you think. Possibly even in your years as um, as board chair of of IBSC and in in other years that you were involved on various levels, what what might some of the highlights for you be of the achievements of the organisation that you remember significant sort of junctures in the growth of of what we see today? Well, I would say from the from the governance point of view uh, that the goal was to professionalise the organisation. It, it was very much from the start through the good graces, really, of the people who started it, a mom and pop operation. And it it was housed basically at university school because that's where Rick Hawley was. And he was the first president of the organization and his assistant began the became the assistant for the organization. And what just um, it, it could no longer um, honorably complement the ambitions of the organization. So just the idea to have an executive director. Uh, to have a staff to think about the financial model of the group, and then to have a strategic plan in my time as president, uh, that that was very important to us. But it was in service to other goals that that I think have been sustained and enhanced over the years. For example, research, uh, different kinds of research, but especially the action research program, which um, got its start then. And uh, I think I think is one of the most vibrant parts of any national international conference that we have now. And it also reflects the, the kinds of collaboration that go on between conferences, that people are are gathering in cohorts and doing good work and testing ideas against one another and that kind of thing. And I, I think um, to have fostered that that kind of dialogue and to have done my part in order to modify some of those systems um, is, is a great satisfaction for me. And on behalf of the organization, I'm glad that we had moved in that direction. And to see some of those initiatives sustained and grow and 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 even be turned into program i mean i think that's that's the joy of how these how these things evolve yes. uh, Kerry, I, I, you know i think what i love about history and conversations like this is i think history teaches us so much and in many ways 
um, boys' schools in some parts of the world are facing similar challenges to those that were faced as this group came together in the late 80s and the early 90s. And I wonder, you know, as we look back, what might some of the lessons be for educators of boys, for boys' schools as they approach the challenges and opportunities of single gender education in a boys' school based on the lessons that have been learned by IBSC schools and and by boys' schools all over the world in the past? That's a, it's a great question, Bruce. I, I think that uh, for starters, um, whatever it is we do, we have to do with humility and understand that there are cultural contexts within which we are operating. Um, we have to be aware of what feelings are in the, in the culture at large, what the media is suggesting about all kinds of things, not education, certainly boys' schools, but all, all sorts of political matters. And and we have to be wise in the way in which we approach the challenges. But that said, I, I think where uh, schools have uh, struggled or even failed, it's been as a result of the fact there hasn't been bold leadership. And I think the bold leadership often comes from people being not only passionately committed to something, but being informed and, and telling the truth. And increasingly, as the IBSC has provided resources to schools, and I, I think that that was a key element in its evolution, that the organization and parts of the organization be, began to be resourceful, uh, that we, they, we weren't just saying, you know, uh, don't give up, go at it, but we were giving people data that would suggest that there was a good reason for there being to being all kinds of schools, in our, in our case, specifically boys' schools, and, and, and we could prove it. And whereas it was simply anecdotal in the past, now, now there, is, there are statistics that suggest that boys thrive in these settings, that all kinds of boys thrive in these settings. And, and, and I would simply say to, to schools around the world and the leaders of them who, who are, um, feel, feel constrained by their, their individual situations and maybe frightened by what they're facing, to, to rely on the rest of us, to lean on people and to to say, how was it for you? And what was it like in a given country? Perhaps the struggle was in the 90s and another another country might have been in the aughts. And, uh, and, and to imagine that, in fact, not everything has changed uh, because we're in 2022 and there's a lot to be learned by what occurred before. And some of it can be very practical. Some of it can have to do with language and the way you describe what it is that you do. It has to do with, with marketing approaches. It can be uh, the way in which you interact with the media, uh, the relationship that you forge with other institutions in your communities and that kind of thing. But but I, th- I think in the main, it has to do with people who, who know and love boys' schools, uh, not only proposing them, but advocating for them. And there, there are plenty of brothers and sisters around the world who could be supportive of people who are finding that that's a struggle. It reminds me of a conversation I had with Dr. Adam Cox um, in Montreal in 2019. And we were talking a little bit about some of the things the media was highlighting around around boys and boys' schools. Um, and he, he, mentioned, he said to me that he wholeheartedly believes that when boys' schools are getting it right, they're the best places for boys to grow into good human beings. And... And I think, you know, as I look at as I look at the, the kinds of things that IBSC schools are doing to 
become kinder, more empathetic places and to grow boys who see the need in the world. Uh, it's exciting to see what's happening. I, I, I agree. I think, um, I think that those of us of a certain generation, even though we didn't go to boys' schools, I certainly didn't. I went to a, a big co-ed public high school in Schenectady, New York. And, and, and certainly I know that Rick Hawley and Rick Melvoin went to public schools. Um, but, but I think there was, uh, for many of us, in, in perhaps a, a little bit more latently in certain other cultures, a notion of what it meant to be a man. And, and it was a largely masculine, uh, if not unfeeling, at least uh, 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 don't show your feelings, a stiff upper lip kind of attitude. And I, I think we knew, even in schools that projected a little of that, that there was probably something better that we could be. And, and you know, the, the shorthand for that is to be kinder and gentler, but you put it better than I could have, Bruce, and talking about just being more empathic and, 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 and thinking of boys who lead and serve and, you know, all the bumper stickers that we, we have related to what we think are not just about boys' schools, but about any good schools and what we want for children to become in these cultures. And uh, I, I know, and I just had a conversation with some parents of a prospective student ye yesterday, I, I know that this is the best place. It's the most patient place. It's the clearest place for boys uh, to come into their best selves. And, and I'm convinced of that. I'm glad to say it and anywhere that they'll have me say it. And even some places where they'd rather I didn't say it. Uh, but, I, but I believe that there, there has to be a mission behind what we do because they're still, we're still countercultural and therefore we have to be brave um, against um, suggestions that we are somehow not modern or we're not, not politically correct or not even educationally valid. We, we have to know what we're talking about and then say. Gary, we could speak about this for ages. It's, it's just wonderful to hear your insights, but in closing, I wanna ask you, and you've shared lots of encouragement and advice already, but as you look at the the landscape of education at the moment and boys' schools at the moment, what what words of encouragement would you have for current leaders and faculty in boys' schools around the world? Well, I think it, what I have to say is very simple. That's just love them. Love the boys and figure out ways in which that can happen. Uh, it doesn't mean that we coddle them. It doesn't mean that anything goes. In fact, it's quite the opposite of that, that we suggest that what we do to them and for them is because we love them so much that we couldn't imagine they're growing up otherwise. And uh, if each school could resist being distracted by other um, demands, and even as we have to be current and we're preparing boys, as we say, for the 21st century and that kind of thing, to imagine that when in doubt to go to the simplest notion, and that is the relationship between adults and boys, and to ensure that your school allows those to flourish. Kerry, thank you. That's a, a wonderful way to end this conversation. Although I think, as I said before, we could probably talk for a lot longer about this. Um, but I want to thank you for your time and for your insights and for all you've done for IBSC and for boys schools and the encouragement you are to so many too and for spending time with me today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bruce. It's, it's, it's an honor and, and certainly always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you.